So there will come times in your life when there are things that you want to change. And it seems like the changes that we generally look for are in three areas. And sometimes you'll want to change something with regard to your health. You'll wake up one day or you'll get ready for bed one evening and you'll look in the mirror and you'll say, you know what, I need to do something different with this. Um, maybe I need to shave off a few pounds. Maybe I need to just do something, change your, whatever it is. And you're like, I really wish I could change. Um, some changes we want to bring to are in relationships. Um, some of you might think, I really want to change something about my marriage or something about my dating life. I want to change something with how I relate to my son or my daughter or my mom or my dad or my aunt or my uncle. And you just have this wish to change something. And the third big area is finances. Um, some, some of you wish you could change something. I wish I could lower my debt. I wish I could raise my investment. I wish I could be more generous. And if you feel any control over any of those wishes, what you might have done is actually set a goal. And you said, I want to change this, and here's where I want to be. Like, you have a vision of how things could be, but you're not there yet. Now, now let's just pretend that you and I are sitting down over coffee, and you're telling me about this. You're, you're telling me about your relationship that you want to change, or your, your health issue that you want to improve, or the finances that you want to realign. And you're telling me about it, and you're like, oh, I want it to be like this, and I want it to be like this, and... Me, as your pastor, I kind of lean in and I challenge you a little bit and I say, well, why haven't you changed already? To which you'd probably reply something like this. I'm trying. I'm trying to change. It's, you don't understand, pastor. I'm trying to be nice to that person. I'm trying to restore the relationship, but they are just so difficult. If you had to deal with them, you would know. I'm, I'm trying my best, Okay. I'm trying my best to save money, but you, you don't understand. It's like every time I save money, there's another bill, another interest payment, just things keep piling up. I'm trying. I'm trying to get healthy, but uh, Eric just br keeps bringing jelly donuts to the office. <laughs> Man, I'm trying not to eat them, but it's just so hard, so hard. I'm trying. And I, I say that all the time too. There are things I want to be different in my life, things I'm trying to change, and I'm, someone asked me, How, how's it going? Well, I'm not there yet, but I'm trying. I'm trying. Could you think of something in your life where you've been trying? There's a change you want, and you can see how things can be different, and you've been trying. And just keep that in your mind, because... Today, I'm going to challenge the whole idea of trying. And I love how um, one author put it. He was a, he's a pastor, he's an author, and he's talking about this whole idea of how to change things in your life. And here's how he put it. He's, his name is Craig Rochelle. He says, when it comes to finish line areas, like areas where we know there's a change or a goal we could accomplish, Christians tend to have a theology of trying. We think we can get where we want to, want to go simply by giving more effort. I'm 
trying, I'm trying. Yet when that's our approach, we set ourselves up for failure. Trying doesn't work. Training does. And he kind of elaborates this, uh, on this throughout the book. I'm, I'm more of a visual learner, so I'm going to share with you a visual picture of the difference between trying and training. So I, I asked you to think about something you want to change. Let's just call it it. So whatever it is, you've got something that you want to change in your life. It could be a physical thing. It could be a relationship thing. It could be a financial thing. For me personally, I wish that I would have made this screen a little bit brighter so you can actually see it. But there is, <laughs> it is on the screen. But just visualize whatever your change is or your goal is. Now, what does it mean when you try? When you say, I'm going to try to change it, it means that whenever it comes up, you're going to try your hardest. Whenever they're being difficult with you, you're going to try to be a nice person and try to be forgiving. Whenever Eric brings jelly donuts to the office, you're going to try to resist. And I'm sorry if your name is Eric and you bring donuts to the office. It's totally an accident if you do that. Or when you go on Amazon to buy a, a toothbrush and you see 10 other things that you really like, you're going to try to resist and only buy that toothbrush. And maybe you can start to see why trying doesn't work. Trying depends on your ability to exert force in the moment to overcome previous patterns. You're exerting power in the moment to try to overwrite previous patterns. Trying is all about trying to manipulate the outcome of something, but you don't always have the power to control the outcome. So trying sounds good, but trying doesn't work. So how is training different? Training looks at the bigger picture of it, whatever it is. And training doesn't wait for the moment to come. Training asks the question, what can I do today to prepare for it tomorrow? So training takes a bigger picture. It's more about an overall approach. It doesn't ask, how can I manipulate the outcome? Training asks, how can I grow myself to prepare for whatever it is? See, training is, is much different than trying. Training is all about growing yourself, whereas trying tries, tries to exert some force in the meantime. And here's the thing with Christians. We even make this a um, theological thing. We, we, we look at passages where it says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. And so you'll, you say, hey, whenever it comes, I'm just going to try hard and pray to God and hope that he you know, steps in. And there is truth that God helps us in our trouble. But it's much more true that he is with us in our training. He's much more interested in developing you into the person to overcome what it is, rather than just rescuing you and delivering you from the troubles that you might find. So here's what we find. Number one, if you are serious about a goal, especially a big goal, stop trying Start training. And if this still hasn't gotten traction, just think about a, a big thing like a, a marathon. And if you run marathons, I, I'm just clapping for you because that is a huge thing to do. If, if I could just show up at the starting line and run a marathon, I'd totally do it. But from what I understand, you can't just show up and try. 
Even if you try really, really hard, you can't just show up and try and run a marathon. There needs to be training to make you into the person who can actually run one. And so this is true of any area of life. The more important it is, the bigger the goal is, the much more important it is to stop trying and start training. And what I hope is by the end of the message, you'll be able to walk out of here and think about that thing you want to change and stop trying and start training. Now, if you're just joining us, we are in week three of a series called What I Wish I'd Known Sooner. And the series is all about the, the book of 1 Timothy in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in his 60s, which in those days was old, totally not old right now. But back then, that was an old person. And he was speaking to a younger protege named Timothy who was learning how to lead a church. And so we get a lot of advice from an elderly Paul to an, a younger Timothy. And Paul never puts it in these words, but he basically says, Timothy, here's what I wish I'd known sooner. But here, you can know this sooner. And one of the things Paul gets to is this whole idea of training instead of trying. And I'm going to show you two sections. We're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul plants this idea of the reason why Timothy needs to train and what he should train for. And the cool thing with this is that it translates perfectly to your life and my life today. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. If you point out these things, and Paul had just talked about several like, truths that he should be teach, Timothy should be teaching, if you point out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. So there is absolutely this truth that you build your life on, Timothy. And because of that, you can look toward the future and stop trying, but start doing this. Paul says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not sure what old wives' tales are. And I looked at the Greek, and it's actually a word-for-word -word translation. It's old women's myths or tales. Like, and I don't really know what those might be today. What, what I am thankful for is that we don't have any old women here at North Cross. So I don't even need to explain it because um, you're all young. But what Paul was cautioning him against was this super, superstitions, making connections where there aren't any, kind of this, this um, gossipy kind of talking. And, and Paul says, Timothy, run away from that. But rather, train yourself. Um, the Greek word for train is gymnazo. It's where we get our word gym for. And just to kind of give you the historical background for what gymnazo means, it literally means, it, it, the idea was you, you had people running a race. And these people, as they trained for the race, they would basically strip naked and run un, 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 unimpeded. Um, without any resistance in any way. Now, in the Olympics and in professional sports today, they have spandex and tight clothing, and that's to make them efficient. Back then, they just had you know, robes and stuff, and so they let it all out, and they ran. That's how they trained. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for spandex. <laughs> but just think about this. You had to be dedicated 
to whatever sport you are in, if you are going to train, it's like, I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to win. And so Paul said to Timothy, you train yourself to be godly. And this is the first thing I want you to think about with regard to your goal, whatever it is you want to change. The question is, where does God fit in? Is it a godly goal? Or to achieve it, would you have to become a more godly person? And we'll build on that in just a minute. But first, let's allow Paul to flesh this out a little bit more. He acknowledges what we all know, physical training is of some value. Being in shape is a good thing, but here's the thing, you never know when something could happen to your health or when you break something or twist something. Your health is no guarantee. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. It holds promise, not just for the present life, but also for eternal life. Godliness is something that can't be taken away from you. No matter what happens to your body, no matter what obstacle you face, godliness can't be taken. It's something you can develop in this life and it only carries over. So Paul says, Timothy, train yourself. Have nothing to do with these myths and these old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly because that is something that will never be taken away. So here's our takeaway, uh, the second main point. Make godliness your goal, and then also let God be your motivation. So I'm in a network of pastors where um, they break us out in about uh, groups of 10 or 12, and we meet once a year, and we get together. And um, it was several years ago, but I remember the very first time I met with my group of pastors. And the whole idea of this was to help us Train. It's actually called cross-train. Um, not cross-try, but <laughs> cross-train. Um, and so we're training to be more resilient, stronger. And I remember the first time we met, we were talking about the importance of physical resiliency and you know, being healthy. And so, um, the leader asked the question. He says, why do you want to be healthy? Why do you want to be physically fit? And there were a lot of answers. Now, some pastors said that they wanted to be fit because they run the youth ministry and they want to keep up with the kids. That's that's a good thing to want to be in shape for. Um, I I remember another pastor, there are several answers, but one that I remember was another guy raised his hand. He's like, I want to be in shape for my wife. (laughs) And we all all laughed like, that's actually, you know, good. You know, I want to be in shape for your wife and all that stuff. Um, But after several answers, I just kind of sensed that something was missing. You see, if, if you're in shape for for your students, for your kids, they're going to grow up and your motivation will go away. If you're going to be in shape for your wife, your husband, your spouse, or if you're trying to get a date, you know, there's all sorts of reasons to impress people with your body. If that's your motivation, that will all go away too. So what if your motivation to be physically fit was to honor the God who gave you the body that you have? It's, it's, limit, it's limited. It has weaknesses but it's still a gift, and I want to honor him with it. So as Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Timothy, it's going to be so easy for you to to want to please all the people in your church and to make them love you, but when it comes to your goals, make godliness 
your goal and let your motivation be God himself. Now, what would that look like for you and for your goal? What do you want to change? How can you make godliness your goal? And how can you make honoring God your motivation? So let's build on that a little bit more because in this next section, Paul helps us flesh this out because he gives Timothy a string of six things he should pursue as he makes godliness his goal and God his motivation. Um, Paul talks about the um, dangers of seeking wealth. He talks about the danger of worldliness and um, loving money. And then after that, in chapter 6, Paul gives this positive reinforcement. He says, you, man of God, flee from all these short-term things. And I want to pause with this because what's so important is to remember who you are. Because Timothy was a man of God, that determined how he lived. And the same is true of you. Whatever you believe about who you are determines how you will want to live your life. So I'm wondering, who are you? Who are you? Well, can I tell you who you are? As Paul tells Timothy who he is. You are the kind of person who does this. You are the kind of person who pursues righteousness. You are the kind of person who does what is right even when it's difficult. Let that sink into your identity. That's who you are as a son, a child of God. You pursue righteousness. Timothy, you. You are also the kind of person who pursues godliness because your belief in God is not just some intellectual theology. Your faith in God is something that is carried out in your life and you are reflecting his identity in what you do. Pursue godliness because that's the kind of person you are. You are the kind of person who pursues faith. You are faithful with the gifts God has given you. And while you are faithful with them, you are also holding on by faith to the God of all promises. That is who you are. Pursue faith. You are also the kind of person who pursues love. Because for you, it's not just that you receive God's love and it fills you up, but you receive so much of his love that it overflows to the people around you. And that's the kind of person you are, overflowing with grace. He also says you are the kind of person who pursues endurance. Because Timothy and you, your belief isn't in something that changes your relationship with God and, and your belief in him is anchored in timeless truths that never change. And therefore, you can endure through hardships knowing that what your faith in is always sure. That's the kind of person you are. And then finally, you are the kind of person who pursues gentleness. Because it was not when the anger and wrath of God appeared that we changed our ways. It was when the kindness and gentleness of God appeared that he saved us. And so it is with you. You do not need to get defensive or offensive, but rather your demeanor is one of gentleness and patience because the victory has already been won.
That's the kind of person you are. That's what it means to pursue godliness and to flee from everything else. And then this next thing that Paul encourages him with, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Now, now faith is this tricky thing because faith is, it's this confidence in what we don't have yet. And yet you can have so much confidence with Jesus because he's already given you the victory. And so Paul is like threading this needle. Faith is something that we don't, it's, it's confidence in what we don't have yet. And yet we already have it. And so he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So for Timothy, Paul was saying, you remember that day where you stood up to the congregation in Ephesus, to the people there, and you made them a promise, Timothy. You told them that you would hold to Jesus for your whole life and that you were also going to walk alongside these people to lead them to Jesus too. Timothy, remember that good confession you made. Hold on to that eternal life that you don't have yet. <laughs> Hold on to that and let that permeate who you are. And then Paul goes on. He says, okay, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, in the sight of Christ Jesus, who also gave a good confession while testifying before Pontius Pilate, um, Jesus made this confession that whoever's on the side of truth listens to me. And Timothy, that's you. He says, with that in mind, I charge you, I tell you, I command you. And he goes on. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame. Now, let's just think about your goal, your, your habit real quick, or whatever you want to change. Where's the finish line? So I, here in Minnesota, we're, we're getting close to summer, I hear. I hear. And so, you know, maybe you want to spend some time on the beach. Maybe you're looking, you know, physical physique and, okay, I want to lose some pounds. It'll look good in the bathing suit. It's mostly for the younger people I know. But when, when you're old, you don't care. <laughs> but you're thinking, okay, once summer gets here, I want to be in good shape. And then once, you know, hopefully summer lands on a weekend, by the way. But once summer is over, so what? Back into winter mode. We need to insulate ourselves for the cold. Just think about your goal. At what point will it be complete? So maybe it's financial. I want to really change my finances until I'm out of debt. Until I have a certain amount in my investments. Or until I can be generous in a certain way, that's when my goal will be done. Or in the context of Timothy, it would have been real easy to say, um, Timothy wanted to grow and learn and be full of grace so that his people would love him. So Paul, Timothy could have said, as, long, as soon as everyone loves me, I'll be good. But as Paul encourages him, he says, Timothy, I wish I'd known this sooner. I wish I'd known this sooner. When it comes to your pursuit of godliness, what is the finish line? Here's the finish line. Can keep this command until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his good time. The finish line is forever. 
finish line is for as long as we have life in this world as we know it, that's the finish line to which you were called. It's the training that never ends. It keeps going and going because as long as we are in this world, there will be things to grow in and change in. But you might raise your hand and say, yeah, but I'm, I'm wealthy now. Or you might raise your hand and say, my, my marriage is really good and my relationship is restored with this person. Or I've already got so much saved up. Like, what do I need to train for? And Paul says, I wish I'd known that sooner too. Because here's what he points to as the ultimate goal. He says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see to him. Be honor and might forever. End of story. Amen. My pursuit of godliness is not for honor or recognition for me. It's so that others might see my good deeds and praise their Father in heaven. So Timothy, what's, what's your real goal here? Bring honor to God. I would ask you too, what's, what's the real goal, the real motivation of what you want to change? Let it bring honor to God. What we know is number three, following Jesus means a lifetime of training. A lifetime of growing in our ability to love people. In our ability to reflect grace. And that's something that you will never cross a finish line for until God welcomes you into heaven someday. But what I want to highlight is that this isn't one of those training things that you're just like, oh, I'm exhausted. And I, and I want to be clear. Training as you follow Jesus will not always be easy. When Jesus invited people to follow him, train, he also warned them that the burden might be heavy, but it would be worth it. So one, one thing that came to my memory this week is... Uh, my high school years, I was, um, well, I have some numbers to show you on the screen. Some of you will know what this means and some, most of you won't, but a bunch of numbers here on the screen. And the reason I put these numbers up here is because these are the different weight classes for high school wrestlers. So the way it works is in order to be in a weight class, you can weigh no more than that amount. So, for example, in, in, in my uh, sophomore year of high school, I was in the 152-pound weight class, which means if I showed up to a wrestling meet, and if I weighed anything more than 152, I would not be able to wrestle. And the way it works is your team can only have one person in each spot. So we had a guy in 145, I was in 152, we had another guy in 165, and uh, sometimes there was a little competition to see who can get where, but... The ideal is you get your ideal weight, both for yourself and for the team. And so I remember I was so nervous for that first meet, my sophomore year of wrestling. I was in the 152-pound weight class, and I'd been well below that. Like, I was weighing in around 148, 147, and, and so it wasn't, or, it wasn't that close. But I was still really nervous and really afraid. And so for the days leading up to it, I wasn't starving myself, but I was definitely leaving myself hungry. And when the day of the meet came, I weighed in, stepped on the scale, 
<laughs> and I was actually below 145. So the coach was standing there. He's like, wow, Matt, that's pretty impressive. Were you trying to lose weight? And I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, no, no, I just, you know, just kind of natural. And so he says, great, well, you can be at 145 for the rest of the year then. And I was in a growth spurt at the same time. I was so miserable for the next month because I was training to be someone whom I wasn't. And maybe you've been training to be someone who you're not. Training. Trying. Because you've seen them and their life and their gifts and you're trying to be who you're not. And that is exhausting. So for me in high school, the it was 145. And it hurt. (laughs) And eventually, I gave up. Disappointed the team. My coaches were amazing, by the way. Um, But I felt like I disappointed them. We had to rearrange some things, and we made it work. But what I want you to know is that no amount of training can change who you are. That's something Jesus actually had to teach people. One day someone came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is like, well, I hope you've been training. (laughs) What Jesus actually said was, you you know the answer. Keep the Ten Commandments. In, in, In summary, be perfect. And the man responded with this. He said, okay, I've been doing that since I was a boy. I've been training my entire life to be a good person and to be righteous. And in fact, he, as a young man, was showing the evidence of that. He was wealthy. He was successful. People looked at him and they're like, wow, there he is. So he said, I've been training for this my whole life. And Jesus looked at him. He said, no. What you've been training for doesn't change who you are. You're not perfect. And Jesus went on to highlight this huge thing in his life that made him not perfect. And he went away sad. And the reason I want to bring this up is because while we talk about the importance of training and not trying, I just want to make sure we all remember that training doesn't change who you are. Only Jesus can do that. In fact, when the disciples saw Jesus talking to this man who was so good, they were astonished at what Jesus said. This was their their reaction. They said, well, who then can be saved if this guy can't make it? Jesus said, well, with, with man, this is impossible. Because you can never train yourself to be worthy of heaven. Nothing you try. No amount of training can make you perfect. But the good news is that with God, all things are possible. As you think about Jesus, here's his mission, here's his goal. Like one person was going to redeem all of mankind and rescue us from sin and death. And he could have showed up at earth and said, all right, I know there's a cross coming. Let's give it a try and see what happens. But instead, what do we see every single day of his life leading up to that cross 
Every day we see him resisting every temptation to maintain his perfection so that he could give that to you. Every day we see him connecting with his father in heaven, being filled up with a power that he would need on that cross. So that even as his life was being taken from him unjustly, he would have the ability to say, Father, forgive them. Everything in his life built up to that one moment and he trained every bit of it for you so that he could change who you are. And that's where you find the real power to change. Trying doesn't work. Training does. Because what we see Jesus doing is he set the cross as his goal where everything would change for me and for you. And that's where you became a new person. His cross, his empty tomb. That's who you are. And that's the kind of person you are today. So my encouragement for you, number four, is to train according to your calling. Don't try to be someone you're not. Would you ask God, would you tell me who I am, Father? First of all, I'm a child of you. I'm loved by you. I'm forgiven by you. That's who I am. But also help me to see the callings that you have in my life and what it means to train for them. And I just have one application that I think will help you kind of put this into practice for yourself this week. Um, let's say that one thing you're working on is you really want to forgive someone. <laughs> Maybe before the message, you would have said, pastor, I'm trying to forgive them, but it's just really hard. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to forgive them. Let's stop trying. And let's start training. When you train to forgive someone, it means maybe you take an entire week and you write out the verses in the Bible that talk about forgiveness and what it means. And then you take another week and you write out the offenses that this person has done to you and how they hurt you. And while you do that, you also take into account how you've been assuming or what you've been assuming about their motivations. And then maybe on the third week, you write out the way that God has forgiven you and you begin to count what Jesus paid. And throughout the process, what, what, what you're doing is you're not trying to forgive, you are training to forgive. Trying doesn't work, but training does. And so as you put this into practice this week, maybe let's change our vocabulary. Instead of saying, I'm trying, I'm trying, maybe tell yourself and tell the other people, I'm in training. I wish my marriage was different, but I'm not trying. I'm in training to be a better spouse. I wish I wasn't in my financial situation. I'm not trying. I'm in training to be a better steward. I'm in training to grow so that with God's help and God's power, I can overcome what he has placed before me, knowing he has already taken away my greatest obstacle. So I'm not trying. I'm in training. And we'll pick it up there next week as we continue our series on things I wish I'd known sooner. I pray, dear Father in heaven, um, would you give us some wisdom and discernment this week as we take a look at some of the things we want to change in our lives? I know it's not January, Father, but some of us might still have some things we resolve to change throughout the year. Would you help us to align our goals so that we seek godliness first and foremost? 
Would you help us think about our motivations so that our motivation is you and not just people or ourselves? As we think about the things we want to change, help us walk away from this mindset of trying and trying with all of our willpower, but rather to enter into a lifetime of training under your grace and with your power. I thank you that your grace is enough for people who are failures, for people who have tried and failed over and over again. I thank you that you have taken that title of failure away from us and you've replaced it with son, daughter. I thank you for your mercy and your grace. Every day is a new opportunity to train and be closer to you. Thank you, Father. Bless and keep us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.